Welcome back, Donuts. If you're new to the Fried Dough community, I'm your girl, Gina. Welcome to another episode of Fried Dough, your weekly fix of true crime. I want to always, always remind listeners that the stories that I cover on this podcast may be difficult to hear. However, it is very important to shine a light on these cases and remember the victims who were affected. This is Fried Dough, true crime podcast, and this is The Discovery of Secrets, Mark and Dylan red wine what's up donuts i do not believe i am actually about to say this but coprophilia intense interest in the pleasure of feces and defecation especially as a source of sexual arousal why am i giving you such a detailed definition of this word and out of all the words why that one gina i mean for real well i'm gonna tell you why this case and a secret that mark Redwine was afraid that it was going to get out when I found this story and I saw the name Mark Redwine, I became very intrigued and it wasn't really because of the details in the story that was like a topper. But when I saw the name Mark Redwine, I remembered that I went to school with a Mark Redwine. So I started researching more and I realized it's not the same Mark Redwine. Shout out to you at Marion Sterling. I know you're not listening, but just in case I don't know but this case is a really weird one a horrible one but I just want to say where the hell was I when it broke because this one it would have been in my rolodex of a memory for real all right you ready all right I'm ready too let's go Mark Anthony Redwine was born August 24th, 1961, and though I wasn't able to find actually where he was born, he lived most, if not all, of his life in Colorado. During his younger years, he must have had some degree of charmness because he married two separate occasions to two different women, once to a woman named Betsy Horvolt in the late 1970s and 1980s, and then another to another woman named Elaine Hatfield in 1989. While Corey was very near dear to his father, it was Dylan who seemed to be the apple of his eye. But why wouldn't he? Because when Dylan was born on February 6, 1999, they completed the picturesque life that the family had in La Plata County, a quiet and rugged area located in the mountains of Southwest Colorado. At least that was what it seemed like on the surface. This family looked like a pretty typical American family. With Mark and Elaine still being in love at this point, it created a, a happy environment for the two boys. This also allowed them to become very close with one another, despite the fact that they were seven years apart in age. In school, Dylan was on the baseball team, even the football team, and during his practices, Corey would often take him to and from his practices after school. Whenever there was a big game on TV, the brothers often had playful bets with each other over the results. Bets that usually amounted to the loser doing the winner's laundry. 
Mark had to be divided between his boys because he couldn't be there 100% because he still had children with his first wife, Betsy. But it really didn't get in the way of things. For the first eight years of Dylan's life, things went as perfect as they could up until the point when Mark and Elaine's relationship began to fail. Like with his first marriage, problems started between Mark and his current wife so much so that by 2007 their lives together had become unimaginable this is why later that same year they decided it was best for everyone involved they split up and went on their separate ways of course they would still have to stay in some type of contact because of the children but this was nothing new to mark since he'd been through the situation already even though it was tough, he seemed to handle it, the situation at hand. But that was until he realized that Elaine wanted full custody of the kids. At that time, Dylan was 13 years old, and it has seemed that things were a little bit worse than anybody could ever imagine behind closed doors. Whilst most people said that it looked like Mark was a good father, and even though if the marriage was falling apart, he was still going to be there for his kids. In reality, his relationship to Dylan and Corey had soured quite drastically over the preceding years. As Corey would later put it, his father could be a cruel and violent man, someone who had deep-seated issues, which rather than dealing with those issues, he chose to take it out on them instead. On September 21st, 2012, it was decided that the best thing to do was to award full custody of the youngest red wine, which is Dylan, to Elaine and her new partner, Mike. Mark was awarded with court mandate visitation rights, which was on a semi-regular basis, but because Dylan was the only minor, Corey did not have to go. He had a choice whether or not he wanted to go or not and Corey just didn't want to go anymore. Not that Dylan really didn't enjoy the visits. he just rather have stayed home and do what he normally do, spend time with his brother, mother, and his favorite pastime sports. Dylan was being forced to go and visit his father, even though he did not want to go visit his father. Elaine could not keep him away. He was forced to get on that plane because she got advice from her lawyer that she would be held in contempt if she didn't. But since everybody just thought that it was just a routine visit, it was just going to be a couple of days and Dylan would be back home, they just kind of sucked it up and just dealt with the issue. That wasn't the only reason why he didn't want to go visit his father anymore. There was something more upsetting to him than just that. It had a lot to do with pictures that they found of Mark. He and his brother had accidentally uncovered during a prior father-son road trip in the summer of 2012. It was then that after both Dylan and Corey had agreed to go visit their father and catch up with him, they had borrowed his laptop one night. And once they logged in, on the computer there were a series of graphic photos, photos that showed their father dressed up in a wig and women's lingerie and makeup. That wasn't all. It was also shown that he was in a picture that it looked as if he was eating something that appeared to be human feces from a diaper. <sighs> That's the first time I've said that sentence. Hopefully it'll be the last. So what Corey did at that time, he took his phone 
and took a picture of those pictures and I saw those pictures and yeah I won't be posting those so by the time Dylan was going to see his father Dylan just tried not to think about what he had seen on the photos but those pictures had caused his relationship with his father to become strained at this time Mark wasn't sure if Dylan knew about the pictures or not but he knew for a fact that Corey knew about the pictures because at one point in time Corey sent him a text saying you are what you eat look in the mirror beautiful <laughs> Corey ain't shit <laughs> so their relationship has been strained all along simply because if Corey was really comfortable sending him something like that then you know the relationship isn't good when he went to visit his father in November 2012 he asked Corey to send him copies of the picture so he can confront Mark in person listening to the testimony Corey testified that Dylan had texted him and told him that Mark was complaining about everybody at the house they're not good role models for him and Mark texts Corey because the text said that he's over here talking about y'all not being good role models. Send me those pictures so I could confront him about a real role model. But Corey said he never sent the pictures. Elaine was worried about Dylan's visit to see his father in the rugged part of La Plata County where he lived. She didn't know about the photos, but she did notice how anxious and upset Dylan would get around his father over the past year. It was on November 18, 2012, when Mark picked up Dylan from the Durango La Plata County Airport. It wasn't a heartfelt reunion. In fact, the airport CCTV camera showed that the pair barely interacted at all. Dylan didn't want to stay with his father that night and asked if he can have a sleepover with one of his friends. Mark said no. Dylan texted his friend instead saying that he would come over to hang out the next morning. The last text Dylan Redwine ever sent was at 9.37 p.m. that night. Nobody except his father would ever see Dylan again. The next morning, Dylan's friends sent him a text asking him where was he, but there was no response. The reason his friend Ryan was sending him a text like this because they had a back and forth the night before and Dylan said that he was going to leave out around 6, 6 o'clock in the morning and told him that you better answer the door because I'm going to be at your door at about 6 o'clock or 6.30 or so. And when 6.30 came around, that's why his friend texts Dylan like, where are you, where are you? So what happened to Corey from 9.31 p.m to 6 30 a.m the next morning so i'm about to let you listen to what mark said happened from the time they left the airport until the time of his disappearance keep in mind that this interview was 39 minutes long so i've cut it up a little bit but if you want to hear the whole interview it's going to be linked below his flight was late arriving um there was some delay leaving denver but immediately leaving the airport, we went to Walmart. We went to McDonald's. I wanted to go to a sit-down restaurant. He wanted to go to McDonald's. We would have been here probably about 8.15, 8.30-ish, somewhere in there. After we were here watching the movie, he was over there texting or playing a video game or something. I just assumed he was texting. 
Well, we were watching the movie together. Remember the movie being finished. I, at some point, was pacing the floor and got up and was taking care of a few little things, you know, over here at the kitchen table while we were doing that. But, you know, it was shortly after the ending of that movie, which my guess, and I don't recall because I don't keep track of the clock, you know, it, it must have been, I thought it was earlier in the beginning because I was fairly tired anyway. I know Dylan was tired because he indicated to me that because he'd been up till four o'clock the night before and that he had spent most of the day in the airport traveling to get here, that he was tired. And, you know, it seems to me it had been about 10, 30-ish maybe by the time the movie got done, somewhere in there. And, you know, shortly after that, I ran up and went to bed and he finished up doing whatever he was doing, watching Nickelodeon or whatever he, he was watching. And, you know, I get up to go run my errands because I had a payroll issue that needed to be dealt with first thing Monday morning because that's when payroll goes in. Mm -hmm. And so it was important for me to get down there as early as possible. Well, I, I wanted to leave at 6.30, so I'd be there at 7.30 when they opened the doors. You know, I spent 45 minutes, an hour, trying to get Dylan to wake up and helping him, saying, you know, Dylan, I'm going down, because he would talk to me about going to see his friend, Ryan, mm -hmm. that morning. But he wouldn't have a no part of it. So do you remember what the last thing you said to him when you went out the door was? Yeah, Dylan, I'm leaving to go down to town and run my errands. If you need anything, call me, call me when you get up, if there's anything you need. Never heard from him. I'd send him text messages, you know, asking him, hey, dude, are you up yet? You know, call me, is there anything you need? And then, you know, by the time I got up here, it was close to 11.30 probably. Mark told authorities that after trying to wake Dylan up for about an hour, he left the house. But before he left the house, he told Dylan, if you need anything, to call him. By 11.30, Mark was finished with his errands, no call from Dylan, and he got back to the house. Dylan wasn't there. He said all he saw was a half-eaten bowl of cereal and the TV was left on. Nickelodeon was still playing. Mark said that he sat there until 2.30 p.m. and still no call from Dylan. So he decided to go to his friend's houses to check and see what was going on. His very first friend that he went to said that he hadn't seen Dylan. So Mark said that that's when he knew something was going on and he went to authorities. Mark decided to call his mom, Elaine. Elaine didn't believe a word that was coming out of his mouth, so investigators and locals came together to search the woods around Mark's house. There was still no sign of Dylan. While volunteers and search and rescue teams combed the woods in the area, one person wasn't there, Mark. Instead of searching for his missing son, Mark turned off the lights in his house and he went to bed at 11 p.m. During the next few months, Corey and Elaine were searching for Mark, making sure that his face was on television. They even made an appearance on the Dr. Phil show, and that was quite moving. I think Mark has something to do with it. I think he's either got him hidden out or, you know, done something and disposed. I, I think, I strongly think that he's involved. He hasn't done a single thing since Dylan has been gone. Um, he hasn't been to any of the benefits. He wasn't there for Dylan's birthday vigil. He hasn't um, helped at all with the Find Missing Dylan Redwine Fund. Um, 
Dr. Phil, I'd like to make a comment about the fundraiser thing. I have several people in the community in which I live that are reaching out to me on a daily basis and volunteering their time to have some involvement with a fundraiser. But somebody from this side of the room called her and told her that they didn't want her to have any involvement in anything that had anything to do with raising money and didn't want me involved in any of that. You're wrong, and you know you're wrong. If you want to raise money for Dylan's fund and for the reward, then do it. Why does it have to be everybody else's responsibility? It's not why everybody else's responsibility. We, why can't you go All do I something on your own? Why do you got to have us, All our approval? You say he has clear motivation. Dylan didn't really look up to Mark. They had a relationship, but it was never what Dylan had wanted. It was always what Mark had wanted, which was always to be on the road. Really? Never there. Because he's father. not a father to me. A father is someone who cares for their kids and, you know, would do anything for them. Be a I role believe, model. Someone I to believe look up that to. you're being very disrespectful, and I believe that everything that's coming out of your mouth is perpetuated by I your I have mother. my own mouth. I can say then my own it. words. I am at you. I don't like you. I hate you. And you have been nothing of a father since the last t 10 years. And Dylan's birthday, even though he's not here to celebrate it with us, where were you? You sure I was making every effort I possibly could because I was in Texas working for the company that I work for, trying to get into Bayfield. And you're the only that one night. working. I'm not working and doing that stuff too. During this episode, Dr. Phil actually offered a polygraph test to Mark so he can clear his name, but Mark refused it. And let's listen to a little bit of that. I don't know how much I can do, but a little bit of that. You should be doing backflips right now to take this polygraph test. You were the last person to have seen your son before he disappeared. Well, and I don't believe that. What do you believe? I believe that the postal worker that saw Dylan later that afternoon before I went looking for him. No doubt in your mind. There's no, there's no doubt. After that, Dr. Phil got on him because Apparently, Mark said that the Dr. Phil show didn't do much for trying to help Dylan. All they were doing was concentrating on the relationship of his ex-wife and his son. And y'all know just as well as I know, Dr. Phil did not let that slide. At Mark's trial, this is what the prosecutor said about his behavior. At a time when most people who live in the house are looking at a time when most people would know to leave the light on if the child was lost, find your way home. At 11 p.m., the defendant helped me start. At the time when people were out in the woods with flashlights searching for Dylan, a time when most people would leave the light on in case the child was lost in the woods, 11 p.m., the defendant's house went dark. That night, Mark Redwine knew something that the search party and investigators did not know, that Dylan was already dead. During the early days of the investigation, remember Betsy, his first wife? She came forward to talk to investigators. She told them during their divorce, Mark had told her that he'd rather kill the kids than to let her have full custody of them. Elaine also said that she remembered a conversation with her ex-husband that chilled her to the core. He told her that if he was to kill anyone, he would dispose the body in the mountains. More than a half a year later, this statement came back to haunt her. 
It was June 28, 2013, when human remains were found eight miles away from Mark's house. The location of the body was significant as Mark Redwine was familiar with the surrounding areas, in particular, the ATV trails around Middle Mountain Road, where the remains were found. There was something else significant about this body. Dylan's head was missing, which wouldn't typically occur in an animal attack or death due to exposure. Dylan Redwine's cause of death had to be murder. When the cadaver dogs scoured Mark Redwine's house, they indicated that the scent of human remains throughout the living room, inside the washing machine, and on a specific article of, of Mark's clothing. It turns out that these were the clothes that Mark was wearing November 18, 2012, the night before Dylan supposed to have disappeared. Traces of Dylan's blood was found in the house and some cadaver dog handlers found that cadaver scent was present throughout the truck that Mark drove. Now that Dylan's body was found, everything started coming clear about what happened that night. Two years passed and there was still no closure. Dylan's head was still missing. On November 1st, 2015, almost three years after Dylan's death, a skull was found by hikers more than a mile away from where his body was found. Finally, finally, forensics were able to determine the cause of the boy's death. His skull was broken just above the left eye and there were scratch marks that had likely been caused by a knife wound at around the same time Dylan died. The cause of death appeared to be blunt force trauma to the head. Wildlife experts were consulted and asked could an animal have done such a thing and the response was no. There was no animal who would pick up a skull and carry it about a mile away from the body uphill. Dylan's blood had been found in Mark's living room and cadaver dogs indicated that he'd been killed there then transferred in a truck. In July 2017, Mark Redwine was arrested for suspicion on second-degree murder and child abuse resulting in death. During the sentencing, the judge allowed the family to give an impact statement, and this was Corey's. The past nine years without Dylan have been nothing short of misery. It's hard for me to speak in front of you today and say I have been victimized when I think of what Dylan went through. The more I think about what has happened, the more I understand how Mark's actions have made me a victim. What did I and Dylan do to deserve this? We looked up to Mark and have always tried to make him proud. I also think of the addiction to alcohol I have relied on so much through these years. What could I have done differently to keep Dylan away from the evil that consumes Mark? I think about our differences and how I could have also been in the same position as Dylan. <clears throat> While my kids will never meet Dylan or their real grandfather, I often think of what I could have done differently as the older brother who was also raised in fear. See, I can't change the hate in Mark's heart. I can't bring Dylan back. I can only remember him. I can't talk to Dylan, so I pray to him. And I can't see Dylan, so I dream of him. Mark may have physically taken him, and I can't change that. But what I can do is tell the world how a 13-year-old young man stood up to his then 50-year-old father and said all the things I regret never saying. 
Dylan is my hero and became more of a man in 13 years than Mark has in 60. I'm so proud of Dylan and what he stood for. I'm sorry for the beautiful woman who will never share his love and for the people who will never share his common love for all. It inspires me that Dylan's actions over the course of his life are what will be remembered and not Mark's words and his lives. Dylan's name will run through our family forever and his stories will be shared by all who loved him. Mark's name will no longer have meaning to all those who loved him and will be replaced with whatever is left in his heart. There's a long walk alone and to a place that only a convicted killer can understand and that's what's in his mind and that's all that's left. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Redmond. So on October 12, 2021, Mark was sentenced. Do you wish to tell me anything before sentencing? No, Your Honor, I do not. Thank you. Based upon the jury verdicts in this case, I'm going to enter judgment of conviction to murder in the second degree and child abuse acting in a knowing or reckless manner resulting in death. And even though the jury found and this court believes that your actions caused the death of your son, you still lost your son. And that's something that you're going to have to live with forever. And I find that to be a mitigating factor. First of all, you killed your son, a 13-year-old boy. At 13, he's still a little boy. As a father, it's your obligation to protect your son, to keep him from harm. And instead of that, you inflicted enough injury on him to kill him in the living room. You sanitized the crime scene. You hid Dylan's body. And you went so far as to remove his head from the rest of his body. There's only one reason to do that, and that's to try uh, and avoid if any remains are fine or were ever found that Dylan would ever be identified. You continually lied about what happened, about your knowledge as to where Dylan's remains were, were hidden. The evidence against you is overwhelming. Uh, however, in your statement to the probation department or the pre-sentence report, you wrote the following. And this is a quote from what you wrote. Innocent of all charges, miscarriage of justice, fake conviction, sham trial. So there is no misunderstanding. I am exercising all my rights to appeal the court's rulings and challenge the biased jury's decision to convict with no evidence any crime was committed. I take this circumstance very seriously and want to make clear that I too have lost a child I love more than life itself. I will fight for true justice, not for myself, but for Dylan. I have always shown remorse for the things that I am guilty of. Stand against fake justice, unquote. The community needs to be uh, protected from you. You need to be removed from society for a long period of time. I'm going to sentence you to 48 years on both counts with five years of parole. They are to be served concurrently. You'll receive 1,540 days of credit for time served. Deputy Robinson, take the defendant back to jail. Elaine is happy with her new husband, Mike Hall. She calls him her rock, which is very, very good. And Corey, he is now enjoying fatherhood. He says that he knows that he's going to be a good father because he had already seen everything that a father should not do, and he's gonna do the opposite. 
This Mark Wedwine episode is a tragic and harrowing case that highlighted the devastating impact of family dispute and unresolved conflict. The disappearance and murder of his son, Dylan Redwine, unveiled a web of complex emotion and strained relationships leading to a lengthy and contentious legal battle. This case serves as a somber reminder of the importance of open communication, empathy, and seeking professional support during the times of distress. Ultimately, it underscores the need for justice, closure, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss and grief. That, my friends, is the horrible murder of Dylan Redwine. Up next is my Uncle Jewel with this week's missing segment. afternoon folks today we're looking for 17 year old trinity berryman trinity was last seen in springsville ohio on may 31st 2023 she is 5'5 130 pounds brown eyes 17 year old trinity was last seen she was wearing some blue sweatpants and an unknown top if you have any information please call crime stoppers at 614-645-47 if you enjoyed this episode before you go don't forget to hit that like button and give me a good review if you have any insight on this episode you can connect to the podcast on instagram and twitter all the links are in the show notes You can also leave a 60-second message, and it's a possibility that message might show up on the next episode. So, be nice, guys. All right, until next time, stay safe, stay vigilant, and always, always, always trust your instincts, child. That is the only thing that will never lie to you.